All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave and Dave from the 3 Plus 4 podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to 3 Plus 4. The perfect podcast does exist. Yeah, we got that great opening. That's actually, uh, Dad, that's you playing the guitar. Now, I know you can't hear that, but uh, I do. Um, I get to hear that every time. Um, so, what... Um, we we have covered uh, a lot about um, basically the, the idea of you got to have a starting point. And then from that starting point, basically everything else has to be proven to be consistent with your starting point. And that's the only way to go. That's, that's how you build a, a worldview. That's how you build um, any kind of logical system. Um, and we have discussed it. And, uh, you know, so that was... What we talked about last time, um, I guess the question is, what's the first proof? What's the first thing that uh, we can we can take? Well, David, uh, I'm not sure that this can be considered linear. I think that there are a lot of bifurcations at this particular point. If we take your postulate that... Uh, Everything that proceeds from the mouth of God is true. Um, there's a lot of places we can go with that. Okay. Uh, I agree. Um, where do you want to go first? Well, uh, I think maybe salvation would be the first thing that we ought to, to talk about after that. Uh, now, David, I'm a little confused. How many podcasts? Do we have in the cans already? Four. Well, this is number four. Okay, because I think we talked about salvation in one of the uh, podcasts already. Yeah, first the in the first podcast, uh, you kind of jumped ahead and talked about salvation, and I was actually thinking that um, really, what probably needs to be talked about is the person of Jesus Christ m- more than salvation. Um, because that's uh, it's almost even the the next even a more fundamental step of who is Jesus than uh, how are you saved? In other words, you keep wanting to jump to the end, and I get that, <laughs> but um, you know we've got to build uh, the foundation first. We got to build the um, you know it almost seems like that's the goal. That's the the thing we're trying to prove. That's what we're trying to get to. Um, but we've got many steps in between. I think. You see, in, in John, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. In me, ye can do nothing. And it feels to me like our attempt here is to reveal God's plan, God's love for people, and his um, working out the a way so that each of us could have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Now, I would think that the first thing that should be handled would be salvation. Now, uh, we can say at this particular point, if 
you are, if what we're saying isn't working for you, go back and listen to, is it the first podcast that where we talked about salvation? Uh, it, it was the first podcast where we talked about salvation. Okay, then go back and listen to the first one. Um, and then, uh, talking about the person of Jesus Christ, I think would be a very good thing. Okay. Um, I, I I go back and forth between uh, being bold and being safe. Um, so it, let's talk. Um, you, you mentioned John, and John tells us a little bit about Jesus. He says, uh, "In the beginning, the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God." The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Comprehended it not. I'm not reading the old I'm not reading the King James, I'm just quoting the King James because that's what I remember. Um <laughs> that's what I've uh, memorized. I was so, enjoying it. So anyway, um, what we what we have here is John's claim uh, that Jesus is uh, part of God, that he was with God in the beginning, and that uh, he he came out of God, and that uh, he was the instrument of creation. So in other words, uh, he was the one through whom everything was created. Now it's interesting. That particular uh, statement is extremely interesting. Uh, there is a uh, something that is um, in the the Gospel of Sophia that I thought was particularly interesting, and that was Jesus was talking about his existence with God before creation, and he said that um, God was basically homogeneous. That. Um, he and he could view himself from every angle. Now that's something that um, I at one point heard that there is a set of there is a um, set of higher dimensions where the math works out where you could actually view yourself from every angle. And I thought that was uh, particularly interesting. So at least uh, you know at least that many dimensions must be uh, must exist, and that would be where where God is, or he must exist in at least that many dimensions. It still works above that, but it works, it starts to work at a certain point. Um, uh, Now, I I think another interesting thing, um, I would go to Isaiah. Uh, When we really want to talk about the person of Jesus Christ, Isaiah is probably one of the most important, um, gives us one of the most important verses. And that is okay. Now, David, David, yeah, I'm going to have to ask you to hold on for just a second. Can you pause it? So, you know, I noticed that one of the things I do um, is I hem and haw around things, and really, I just want to go for the gusto here. I want to, um, you know, say what I really believe. And the thing is, I know it's going to sound crazy. So, this is, um, however, this is something that uh, I think is extremely important. And so, we go to Isaiah, and Isaiah says. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And this is interesting. Uh, this is one of the things that uh, 
uh, God has confirmed to me. So in other words, when I, when I look at Scripture and I say, hey, is it true? This is one of those things that God has shown me is absolutely true. Um, and also that it means what it says and that it is, um, I, I don't know how to put this, but like a lot of people, they will read this and they'll just gloss over it and they won't think anything of it. And they'll say, oh, I think Jesus is probably beautiful. And that's not the case. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why Jesus uh, chose not to be beautiful. You see, he had the ability to choose for himself what he was going to do. And I know that if I got to choose, I would choose to be probably look like one of the Greek gods, an Adonis, uh, uh, you know, somebody attractive. Um, well, you've heard that, that Lucifer was the fulfillment of wisdom and beauty, Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of love and humility. So he took a humble appearance so that no one would have any issues approaching him. Uh, basically, it's about approachability. He wants us to come to him, and that is why he chose not to be attractive. Because even, you know, any, any um, pickup artist will tell you that uh, approach anxiety is one of the biggest things that people deal with when they're approaching somebody who is attractive. So... It is better for him not to be attractive. Um, now, it is also, um, you know, Jesus said something else that I thought was very interesting. He said, I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. And he was comparing himself to the manna. So when the Israelites saw the manna in the wilderness, what they did was they actually picked it up and they looked at it in their hands and they said, what is this? What is this? What is this? And they you know, the, the question ran through their mind over and over again. And I have a feeling that the, con the conjugation of manna could mean what is it or also who is that. So when you see Jesus, the idea is that you're going to say, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? There's a couple of, um, you know, when Daniel saw him in heaven, he said there's one that looks like the son of a man. And so, in other words, he's saying, here's heaven. Here's all these amazing things. I see angels and God and, and um, you know, all these heavenly artifacts. And then there's some guy who kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. And the question is, you know, who's that guy that sticks out like a sore thumb? That's Jesus. And it, interestingly, I think that if he had been attractive and if he had been, um, you know, if he'd looked the way that the leaders of Israel expected him to look, they would have accepted him immediately. They would have said, oh, well, here's a good-looking guy. Um, again, if you go to the Old Testament, you go to um, where David is picked as king, and I'm, I know I'm jumping around, I'm picking a lot of verses out here, but, um, you, you know, uh, Samuel, the prophet, went and said, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to look for a king among uh, Jesse's sons, right? Is that, that the correct name? Jesse was David's dad? Yes. Okay, so he's supposed to look for a king among Jesse's sons. And so he looks at the first one and says, oh, well, this is a very attractive person. He's a very nice-looking guy. And then he says, surely this is it. And God's like, nope, I rejected him. Go to the next one. And then... Uh, you know, Samuel looks at him again and says, oh, very attractive. Well, could I just interrupt here for just a second, David? Sure. Because 
I mean, that's absolutely true. But then God explained himself a little bit to Samuel. Yep, I was he getting said, to it. Oh, you were going to get, okay, that's I'm, fine, I'm, go I'm, ahead. I'm absolutely going to get to that. That's, that's the whole purpose of bringing up this verse. So, right. so you know, Samuel goes through all, uh, you know, it, David has 11, I think 11 brothers, and he goes through all these brothers, and he's like, yeah, surely one of these men is going to be it. They're, they're all, you know, tall and strong and handsome. And God says to him, uh, I do not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And so what basically he's saying is that the physical appearance and this is what you have to realize. Everything in the Old Testament is really written about Jesus Christ to reveal to us some part of his personality or some part of his, uh, his advent in Israel. So um, had they been paying attention to that, they would have known to look for someone who didn't look like someone that they would look for. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons that the Pharisees didn't get that Jesus was who he was. Um, so all of these items in the Old Testament kind of indicate to us uh, that Jesus Christ was not supposed to be attractive, wasn't attractive. And then we have um, kind of the idea that the Pharisees uh, disregarded him. And I think... Um, I don't know how I can uh, justify this from the text, uh, but I I know this to be true. Um, so this is <laughs> just skipping over the whole logic thing, right? Uh, I'm not sure exactly how to justify this from the text, um, but it is the case that Jesus Christ wasn't attractive, and that's one of the reasons that they didn't uh, they didn't think that he was going to be the Messiah, and then also. Um, I think there's really, it's kind of an interesting thing that, uh, his appearance is the fulfillment of love and humility and that he looks the way that he does so that we can approach him. Um, there is, there is zero way that I can, um, I, I don't, I don't know that there's, well, uh, I mean, I gave all the verses that I'm going from, but there's a, there, I don't know if that gets you there, Right. I don't know if there's a leap that I'm making in this particular case. Um, and, and I'll tell you why I had a dream where I saw Jesus. That is, that is where I got most of this from. Now, what it, what it did for me um, is not that it revealed something to me that is new and, and different. What it actually did for me when I saw Jesus in a dream, it opened up the scriptures to me. Now, I say that Jesus Christ is like the Rosetta Stone of Scripture because when you see him, then you start to understand things. Um, there's a lot of things in Scripture that I knew. I, I had read these verses. I knew what those verses said, and yet I did not understand them before I saw him. Um, so this is... Um, I don't know how I would put this, but... Uh, what do you think? Well, David, I agree with you. And I would ask you, uh, put it on pause again for a second. And we're back. Go ahead. Now, the contention that you've made is that Jesus was not 
physically attractive. He wasn't handsome or he didn't have the look of, uh, you know, the strong, handsome leader type. And I agree with you on that. And I think that may just be one portion of a more general spiritual truth or principle, because it does say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no report, and he humbled himself and became fashioned like a man, and he even became fashioned like a servant, and he became obedient even unto death. So the the concept there is, and, and I believe this was necessary for Jesus to be our intercessor, he emptied himself of his godly attributes. And um, he also did not have the attractiveness that Satan had. I, I thought that was a very good point that you made, that uh, it part of Satan's downfall, Lucifer's downfall, was his attractiveness, his, uh, his reliance on himself and his pride. Although, to tell you the truth, if Lucifer was as sharp as it says, how could he the creation believe that he could usurp the creator i i mean i don't get that but well still. i'll tell you this there is uh there is extra biblical text that specifically states he perverted his wisdom in rebelling against god he perverted i i, I both, it had to have been that way yeah it perverted actually both his wisdom and his beauty in rebelling against god um and it does have to be that way i've actually been thinking about it I've been reading a lot about revelations and I'm actually starting to get some idea of what uh, is, is being talked about in revelations uh, 12 and 13. And, you know, it talks about the dragon setting up a world religion and everyone will worship him. And that was, um, again, this is extra biblical uh, text, but that was what he wanted from the beginning. He wanted the man to bow down and worship him. Um, I would, I would tell you that the, the actual extra-biblical uh, account is, and this is from uh, texts from the Jewish tradition, um, they say that uh, when God brought the firstborn into the world, he said, uh, let all of the angels of God come and worship him. So he had created man in the image of God, and he said, I'm going to have the angels come and worship this sinless man. And that was when Lucifer said, no, no, no. I am older in the creation than the man is. He should bow down and worship me. And so basically that was, that was the, um, uh, it, that is an extra biblical uh, impetus for the rebellion. So Satan basically uh, rebelled against God at that point. He said, you know what? In fact, I'm going to, um, uh, I'm going to, what was the, what was the word? Uh, remove God from the throne. He's, he wanted to kick God off the throne of heaven, and set himself up there. And I think the word was ascend. I will ascend unto yes, heaven. That that's what it was. And so basically, he, you know, he wanted to set up this kind of religion where men would worship him instead of God, uh, from 
that point. That was the, you know, from the beginning. And it, it says in Revelations that he'll basically set up this one world religion where it, um, and here's kind of the scary thing. There are Christians clearly on the earth still. And this is, you know, this is the second half of the tribulation that we talked about. You know, like the, the second half of that seven year period. We're still here. And there's a couple of things where it says, uh, you guys are going to have to be patient. Like Christians are going to, this will require patience from Christians uh, to deal with. And so uh, he sets up the one world religion. Then there's kind of a, um, the, the beast is a, is actually a, uh, it's, it's an extra governmental government. Uh, so in other words, it's a, a coagulation. It's like, it's like a UN type of thing, right? Um, it is where countries come together and create a governing body. And then there are 10 men elected. And then of those 10 men, one of them is the man with the injury on his head that then they take about an, about an hour of deliberation and then they pass all the power to that guy. Kind of like Hitler in Germany in 1942 or 1938, right? So like they pass all of the power of this extra governmental organization, which has the ability to command the military might of several of these nations, among which seems to be Russia, China, and the UK. And so um, basically he starts to wage war against Christians. And it, I mean, specifically it says that he wages war against the believers. Um, so anyway, he sets this thing up the dread, And then uh, also uh, in this, in this uh, revelation, um, the, there's a second guy who's like basically a prophet. Um, the first guy builds a statue of himself, and then the second guy animates it. And this is another counterfeit of the creation where God created a man and breathed life into him, uh, created a man in his own image, and then breathed life into him. So what they, they're going to do is the uh, one world leader will create a statue huge statue, and then the second guy will animate that statue, basically cause it to become alive. So anyway, the, the whole thing is, is basically a counterfeit of what God had done at the beginning. Um, we know Nebuchadnezzar actually, or was it Nebuchadnezzar? We know in the book of Daniel, there's actually some very similar stuff. Um, I think as Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue of himself and says, everyone should bow down and worship the statue of me, and uh, Daniel says, nope, not going to do it. And again, that's a counterfeit of what God had actually done, where God created man and breathed life into him, animated him, and then said to worship him, um, told the angels to David, worship them. Yeah? If I could correct you a little bit there. In that particular chapter in Daniel, uh, Daniel doesn't refuse. Daniel isn't spoken of at all. I'm oh. not quite sure that I understand where Daniel is at that point. He must have been on a trip someplace uh, doing some job for the king or something like this. But in other words, uh, the... Right, it's Shadrach, chapter, Meshach, and Abednego. I, talks about the three other guys. I yes, didn't mean Shadrach, to give the impression that Daniel uh, refused to... Did I say that? Uh, but I mean... You, uh, you did. Okay. Now, he certainly, he certainly would have. I, I, you know, I have no doubt in my sure. mind that he would have. But, I mean, you're stealing away a really, really important and exciting uh, scene 
by just saying, well, Daniel said, no way. Uh, it was um, <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused. <laughs> and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, got really angry. And he looked at them and he said, is your God whom you serve able to deliver you for out of my hands and out of the fiery furnace? And the three guys responded to the king and said, uh, yes, he certainly is. But uh, even if he doesn't choose to save us from your hands of the fiery furnace, we'll still not bow down nor worship your God. Uh, it's an incredible statement of faith saying, we know he can. We don't really know what his will is in this case. So we're not really sure that he's going to. But either way, we're not worshiping your idol. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> mm. Well, yeah, and uh, so I guess my point is um, that these these events um, are all counterfeits. And it, what's really funny is we talked about, you know, Satan perverted or Lucifer perverted his own wisdom. Uh, he keeps trying to copy God. Like, he's... And this is something else that I've been thinking about, is like... In all of this, God has actually put this down and said, this is how it's going to work out. And this is kind of, um, this is the, the Broadway show. This is, this is Jesus showing up to save the world. Um, well, to save Israel um, and the, the believers from all this. And if Satan really wanted to throw a monkey wrench in the plans, all he would have to do is say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do all that. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> but he can't. He can't not do it. He's. It, he yeah, it literally I, I agree says with you, David. that I, he's. I agree with you. He rages because in. his time is short. Go ahead. Yeah, the hook is in, and I, you know, I think he does understand scripture and God's plan, and he knows he's defeated. But um, whatever little bit of victory he's able to get, he's going to go ahead and take. He was able, because it was God's will for that to happen, to have Jesus actually die. Now, he wasn't able to hold him in death, but uh, he was able to inflict pain and and cause Jesus' death. <clears throat> um, mm -hmm. And I, he had to know, he just had to know that that was the action that would cause his ultimate defeat but he just couldn't help himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and it, it, he even, um, you know, in, in one of the, uh, one of the gospels, he appears to Jesus and they have a conversation and he offers him, um, you know, Lucifer tries to offer Jesus, uh, alternatives, tries to so offer him So you're talking out. about the temp, you're talking about the temptations yeah. of Jesus. Now, yep. see, Let's just kind of put that in context a little bit. See, Jesus went down, had John the Baptist baptize him. Now, John refused at first and said, uh, Jesus, I have need to be baptized of you. And Jesus said, would you permit this so that all righteousness would be fulfilled? And after that scene where God actually pronounced his blessing on Jesus with the the Spirit saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
the Spirit took him out in the wilderness, and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then there were three recorded temptations of Jesus. Now, those three temptations are recorded in Matthew chapter 4. Now, the first one was um, Jesus, after the 40 days were over, it says he was hungry. And Satan came to him and said, uh, you know, if you're the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Um, and uh, Jesus responded in each case with scripture. And the first scripture, he said, um, it is written, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Um, and then Jesus, uh, Satan took him uh, up to the, um, the pinnacle of the temple. And he, uh, he had Jesus up there and he said, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down. And then uh, Satan quoted scripture to Jesus. He <clears throat> says, in their hands, they'll show, they shall bind thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, I, I'm sorry, this does seem like it's going a little bit long, David, but uh, uh, you, you brought it up. Now, no, it's fine. In, that one, in that one, Satan misquoted scripture. He both left something out and he put something in. See, Satan said, he shall give his angels charge. Uh, oh, it, 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 he left that part out. He, sh he Well, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Now, Satan left that part out. And in their, ha their hands, they shall bear thee up. And then, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, uh, Satan put in there, lest at any time. So Satan left something out and put something in. Um, but Jesus... Um, responded in scripture, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And so then Satan took him up into the uh, high places and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory thereof. And he said, all these things I will give unto you if you will bow down and worship me. Now, that was the crux of what Satan wanted. He wanted God to worship him. And um, Jesus, of course, responded, um, thou shalt uh, worship the Lord thy God only, and him only shalt thou serve. So in each case, Jesus responded to Satan with scripture. Now, I will say one other thing here, and this, I think, is uh, um, a, good, uh, a, a good thing to chew on or a good thing to thought. So... I don't know if we plan probably not to answer this question uh, right now, but let people think about this who are listening to the podcast. Here's the question. In the first one, Satan said, command the stones to be made bread. Uh, now, Jesus was hungry and he could have done it. What would have been wrong with doing that? If it was a temptation, then there was something wrong with it. What would have been wrong with that one? Now, in the second one, um, when he uh, took him up into the pinnacle of the temple and said, cast yourself down. My question on that one is, how would that have been tempting? Who in their right mind would want to throw themselves off a tall building? And then in the third one, I would say, uh, 
you know, when, when he said, all these I will give unto you if you bow down and worship me. Now, in Jesus' response, he didn't dispute Satan's ability to give those kingdoms to Jesus. So um, why not? And uh, what does that mean in long term? So those are the questions about the temptations that I'll just bring up. And maybe in a future hmm. podcast, we can answer those. Well, um, I kind of want to answer the last one uh, because All right. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So the kingdom well, that he's... even more than that. God gave dominion over the world to Adam. Mm-hmm. And when Adam sinned, he ceded the dominion to Satan. And Satan, at that particular point, when he was talking to Jesus, did have the dominion over the kingdoms. Now, Jesus mm-hmm. went to the cross, and he shed his blood, and then afterwards, in the Great Commission, he said, All authority is <laughs> given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. And then he said, Go ye therefore. But in other words, he was saying, Okay, at this particular point, Satan no longer has the dominion of the earth. I have it now. Are you familiar with the original Faustian deal? I didn't even understand that word. Faustian was what I heard you say. Faustian. The Faustian Faustian, Faustian okay. deal. Yeah, this is a, um, it's a, kind of an old English word, the idea of making a deal with the devil. Um, okay. So actually, this is a, another, um, in, in I think one of the similar extra biblical, extra biblical texts, uh, after Adam was kicked out of the, um, the garden, Satan comes along and he threatens Adam and says, Hey, listen, if you don't, uh, he, he produced a contract and said, if you don't sign this contract, uh, and give yourself over to me, I will curse the ground so that you won't be able to get any food and, um, make your life even more difficult than it's already going to be now. And um, the deal that Adam made, uh, he actually wrote out something and said, I am uh, of the earth I was made, and to whomever the earth belongs, so do I and my descendants. And signed it. Now, then when um, one of the things that we have in uh, the New Testament is somehow the death on the cross redeemed the earth. And what that word redeemed actually means is to buy back. So, in other words, Jesus bought back the earth with his death, therefore buying back uh, humanity, basically. Um, Now, I'm not sure exactly how all this works. Uh, I've considered it. I've given it a lot of thought. I'm not sure that I understand exactly how that works unless... um, Well, I mean, I, I just... I don't know exactly what the uh, cosmic mechanisms are that make dying on the cross buy back the earth. Um, but it was what was stated, right? So, like, that's the, uh, the stated goal. And uh, supposedly that goal has been achieved. Um, and it was also um, part of what... The, this is, again, this is an ancient uh, Hebrew manuscript, and it actually talks about this. Um, in there, in that God would buy back the earth, and that it's, that that Satan was ignorant of the fact at that moment 
that God had promised Adam that he would uh, send uh, a Messiah to redeem the earth. So Satan didn't know that he was getting the, the raw end of this deal at the moment that Adam made it with him. Well, David, could I interrupt here for just a second? Go ahead. I mean, see, in Genesis chapter 3, mm-hmm. starting with verse 17, God is kind of meeting out punishments for actually, um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, um, eating the of fall. the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, he, and it says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for the for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is uh, saying there uh, that what you said, um, that, that Satan made a contract with Adam, uh, God had already said that to Adam when he was wrapping up this, uh, uh, the results of, of Adam actually disobeying God. Right. Yeah. Uh, so David, go ahead. David, pause, please. All right, go ahead. Um, I think I just finished making my point that, <laughs> uh, what you said was that Lucifer made a contract with Adam. Right. But actually, uh, the, uh, well, yeah, some of the, uh, that you said were, that Lucifer made, God had already said were the case for Adam. He he made them uh, more severe. In, in other words, God was saying, he said, God's already said that he will curse the ground. I will curse it even further and make it so that you can't get anything. Um, you'll you'll starve to death. And so, um, and this is a companion. Uh, basically, it's, it's very similar to the story that's in Genesis. Um, and it just fills in a couple gaps, um, which I think are interesting. Um, uh, I think it's actually called The Life of Adam and Eve. Um, and basically it talks a little bit about how, um, you know, their, uh, their children, uh, Cain and Abel, uh, talks about how the fact that um, they, they also did have a daughter um, at the time that... Uh, Cain killed Abel, and they wanted to um, keep her from Cain, but Cain ended up taking her anyway. Uh, and so then they had Seth, and they had another daughter, and uh, many other children after that. But uh, uh, So it kind of delineates some of the specifics about what occurred uh, during that time period. Um, it's interesting, and I think it's particularly telling um, that it's a Jewish text. It's extremely old. It's definitely older than um, Jesus, right? So, like, it's it's BC. It's a BC text, and it's from the time of the origin of the Hebrew, uh, the, the Jewish religion, and includes some clearer statements of the Messiah coming uh, than even even the the Pentateuch, right? 
So what is interesting about that is that it's fallen out of favor among Judaism, right? Because it's like, well, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't hold to a, a, a book and deny the Messiah that it is clearly foretelling. Um, so I, I think that's one of the reasons that it kind of fell out of favor. It fell out of favor in probably the first or second century with the Jewish, uh, uh, with the Jews. Um, and then by the time the Bible was being put together, uh, it was kind of seen as, um, well, it wasn't, it wasn't included obviously in the Bible, uh, for what reason exactly, we can't be sure, but um, it just what it wasn't included there. But as we know, I've already uh, mentioned that I'm not a big fan of the canon specifically because I I know for a fact that it leaves things out. I mean, because we have the canon talking about books as scripture uh, that are not in the canon, so we know for a fact that it leaves things out, whether or not it's everything in the canon is good. That is a whole separate issue that uh, is much more difficult to, um, to figure out. And I, I think, you know, as I've mentioned, I think Christianity takes um, the kind of the position that since it's currently in the canon, it's in the Bible, that it should be considered canon unless there's, almost like the burden of proof becomes on somebody to say this shouldn't be in the canon, I think it's the other direction, right? And and the reason um, I've gone in the other direction on that is I think that in order to establish the canonical nature of a book, it requires um, something. Uh, you know, you'd have to establish that it's canonical, not just trust in uh, what somebody else did, you know, 1,700 years ago because they could have made a mistake. And you don't, I just don't know that they had any authority to do that. So it doesn't seem to me that we've got the right um, burner proof there. But uh, point is, I, I did uh, study a lot. You just had to take that shot again, didn't I, you, David? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to take the shot. I'm just saying, well, I, what I did was I went I'll just, back. I'll just point out to you uh -huh. that you have quoted several uh, ancient writings that were not included in the canon Right. to back up your point, uh -huh. and I have not challenged those. Oh, now, I'm not really challenging say, anything you've said here. Okay, D David, but what I would say is this. <clears throat> um, the, uh, the books that are in what the Council of Nicaea decided would be the Bible are uh, or were considered to be... Um, almost without a doubt supposed to be included their their attitude was if in doubt leave it out and the truth is we can get wisdom and historical fact from writings other than the bible so i'm comfortable with that part okay well um i don't i, just I didn't want to get a little shot there yeah i didn't want to get on this topic but um, the right. Council of Nicaea, and I don't either. <laughs> uh, I would, I would liken it to a jury, and I happen to know that many juries, and they, even though they use the uh, standard of um, proof beyond a reasonable doubt, make wrong decisions. And so the council, it's great that their standard was proof, you know, 
that that they had to be beyond a doubt that these were scripture, but that doesn't mean they were right. Um, which, and, and don't get me wrong, uh, still all of those books are good to read. But uh, anyway, um, I think I think we're we're off of the we're off the track here. Um, yes, we did get a little off there. I'm sorry. No, no My worries. Uh, well, I don't know if it was your fault. I, I did uh, say something that would uh, cause your response, and and, and I know, <laughs> like I know that that's uh, one of those areas where we disagree. So if I if I point that out, I would expect you to respond to that, and so that's just human nature, and that's the way it's going to go. Um, and as a matter of fact, I, I think of this a bit like a chess match, right? Like in other words. I can control what I say, but I can't control what my opponent, uh, what you say. Like in a chess match, I can control what moves I make, but I can't tell you what to moves to make. You make the moves that you're going to make. I make the moves I'm going to make. So in the same way, when you're in a conversation, I say the things I'm going to say, and you say the things that you're going to say. So I don't uh, expect to kind of, I don't want to put a muzzle on you or in any way infringe upon your ability to go in whatever direction you feel is uh, necessary or appropriate. So, um, I, I think that what we've, we've kind of talked about is, like, what we know about Jesus and what we know about the person of Christ. Now, um, it, it's a little bit—so, for me, um, the proof really goes back to something that I can't share with people. You know, I can't share a dream that I had that showed me all these things, but I can share the scriptures and explain to you what God has shown me about it and explain what um, I have come to learn— about Jesus Christ from these scriptures. And I think the other thing that's really important is, I don't know where I got this, and I don't know who said this, but um, the, basically the entire Old Testament, all of the Jewish texts, are discussing the person of Jesus Christ in one way or another. And the more I come to understand those Old Testament texts, the more I come to realize that that is the case. Um, and even stories that, that don't seem to make sense uh, when, when viewed through that lens, start to make more sense. Um, and the first one that comes to mind is the story of Samson, right? So uh, Samson and Delilah, and Delilah is a Philistine, and Samson loves her. And in there's a story, or, you know, the, really kind of the fall of Samson, is where he, she says to him, hey, you know, Samson, if you really loved me, you'd tell me the secret of your strength. And Samson uh, turns to her and says, well, if you, if you bind me with old vines, I don't know if it was old vines or new vines, but he did one and the other. Old vines, I will lose my strength and be like any other man. And so she does this and then says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And um, were, were they actually there? Like he, he breaks out of the ropes and beats the men and then uh, sends them away. And then she does this again the next night. And, you know, she says, well, if you were, if you loved me, you would tell me the secret of your strength. And he says, oh, well, this time, you know, if, if, I, if he said new vines the first time, he says old vines the second time. And then she does it again. And so the third time, like, everybody criticizes Samson. He's like, hey, you know what's about to happen. And he told her the truth <laughs> the third time. Well, and it doesn't make any sense, but the whole point of the story is 
Be, the reason the first and second time occur are so that you, the reader, will know that he knew she was going to betray him, and because of love, he allowed her to betray him. And that is similar or foreshadowing of the fact that Jesus loved Judas and allowed him to betray him. So it, everything in the Bible actually is discussing or talking about Jesus and talking about what was going to happen, um, even though it's not necessarily obvious at the time. Um, and necessarily obvious in the story, but once you make those connections, uh, it, it does tell you about him. So most of the things that, um, that, the, that I, the connections that I've made there um, are about how much Jesus loves Israel, how much he loves, uh, he, he loved even Judas. Um, and it is not entirely clear to me and that Judas would not be forgiven for that. I know that that's the, the church's position, like the Catholic Church for, for specifically, um, believes that he is uh, burning in hell or that he has been absolutely not forgiven for that, but I don't know for a fact that that is the case. Uh, Jesus told a parable that was very interesting. And we're, we're at 15 minutes, so maybe this will be the last thing. Um, he said he was having dinner with one of the Pharisees. I think you, you know the story. And so, um, of course you do. And so one of the Pharisees there thinks to himself, if this man were a righteous man, uh, oh, a woman comes in uh, and starts to wash Jesus' feet. Now this is... Okay, now I understand which story you're talking about. I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you I'm, said, I'm sure you know the story, and I'm sitting there... I didn't say anything in response because I didn't know which one you were talking about. And I'm jumping around too. That's the problem. Uh, I am not telling the story well. But anyway, the, the and I'm pretty sure this is Mary Magdalene and that she was, uh, in fact, a prostitute at some point. And I think that um, it says this, it, like in other words, in one of the, uh, the stories, it just has the story. And in the other, one of the books of the gospel, it tells the story. And then in another book, it specifically references Mary Magdalene as the one who washed Jesus's feet. So anyway, um, let's say a woman comes in who is of ill repute and she begins to, uh, she breaks perfume and, and starts to wash uh, or washes Jesus's feet with her hair. And the Pharisee thinks if this was, if this man was really a righteous man, he would know that this was not a uh, a, a woman of good repute, and he would tell her to stop. And so Jesus asks Simon, he says, hey, listen, if a man has two debtors, and one owes a lot and one owes a little, and basically it, a lot would be like a year's salary versus a little would be like a week's salary. And this man comes into uh, an inheritance and goes to the two men and says, uh, I freely forgive you both. Which one of those men will love him the most? And the answer is, uh, the one who is forgiven the most will love the most. And so I know that Jesus sees forgiveness of sin as an opportunity to get a person to love him, a person that he already loves to love him back. And so why wouldn't you forgive somebody that you love of, you know, even betraying you in order to get them to love you back? And, uh, so I wonder what exactly Jesus has done with Judas, but I don't, 
it, it seems out of outside of his personality to say that he would have um, condemned Judas at that point. I, I, I know that that is, um, you know, and there's a lot we don't know about that. There's a lot that remains unspoken. Clearly, Judas would have deserved uh, to be punished. Um, well, I, I, I seem to recall, although uh, I'm not strong on this, that Jesus said someplace, for the one that is going to betray the Son of Man, it would be better had that man not ever been born. Um, not sure where that is, and I'm not sure if I'm quoting that one right. I'm usually much better than that. Um, but I, I, hmm. I think I've always had the impression, and you said it's kind of the church's doctrine that Judas is in hell. Mm -hmm. um, and I always thought it came from that particular verse. And I have always felt a little sorry for Judas. Um, but um, Well, yeah, he is called the son of perdition. Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, let's... Um, how about you look up, look for that, and uh, uh, okay. let me know what you find next week. Because I don't, I don't think that exact verse exists. But there are other verses that would, um, you know, he said, uh, "I have." Um, I think in John he talks about, "I have not lost any except the son of perdition," um, which was foretold. Yeah, but I'm not sure that that. Um, uh, specifically uh, gives us uh, a, a destination or an eternal, um, what should we call it? An eternal destination for Judas. And there's another spot where he says uh, that the 12 of you uh, will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes uh, in the end with me. And he is, Judas is included in that. So then you have to ask yourself if Judas wasn't going to be redeemed at the end, then why would Jesus make that promise to him? Um, so then uh, it, it fits, I don't know, it fits more with the personality to redeem Judas somehow, but I don't know uh, if that is something that we could uh I don't. I don't know if I can establish that. I, I don't. I can't say for sure that that's happening, because there's not a verse. Um, yeah. Well, that I would point to specifically. David, let me just say this: uh, I have been uh, minister of youth in the past, and I've had young people come to me and say, uh, "I've got this friend who said that he accepted Christ, but he's living this way now. Is 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 he saved or not?" And what I've always done at any time when there was a question about is this person saved or not, if they're asking me to make a decision about whether this person is saved or not, I've always looked back at them and said, I don't know, but it's not my job. In other words, um, that job is above my pay grade. <clears throat> and I trust that God is going to righteously judge. Um, and so that his judgment, uh, his will be known to be righteous and it will be above criticism or um, uh, 
revocation or whatever, I guess it is. Right. And, um, and, and so I've just kind of relegated that particular question to that category in my mind. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not, um, I'm not actually personally trying to figure out uh, what my judgment of Judas should be. I'm trying to figure out uh, what Jesus did and or would have done or has done. And so, in other words, um, I don't know that I have anything really strong in either direction except for uh, the promise that he made to the 12 disciples. And that, to me, seems to be pretty strong. So I'm, I'm curious if, uh, if that promise... Well, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that later. I don't think, uh, maybe we'll talk about that next week. Um, if that promise could fail, uh, could not any promise fail? And so I think that that, um, we, we should maybe go back to the text and figure out um, if there's any, any evidence uh, one way or the other. Okay. All right. Um, I, I think that was, uh, that was good. Uh, is there anything you want to add? Um, no, actually, uh, this hour has seemed to have gone by very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. We, we kept pausing and stopping. So it's actually been more than an hour, but it's only been an hour of, of content. So, yeah, but, uh, that's, I, I think it's been a good hour. So, uh, all right, we'll leave you guys there and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Now to him who is able to keep you, who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior. Our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power before all time and now and forever. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Of his golden and